Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He koonai pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. When we think of shifting from fossil fuels, we often focus on the word fuel. And yeah, that's a big part of the change that needs to happen. But there are also a whole range of products that trace some part of their manufacture back to the petroleum industry. And we need to think of replacing those too. What can we use instead to make these products? And how can we set up a new system that avoids the wasteful and polluting mistakes made in the past? Well, there are a group of people who think that for Aotearoa, trees could provide answers to these questions. Kia ora, naumai haramai ki tō tātou au hurihuri. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, ko Clark and Cannon tēnei. As we transition away from an oil-based economy, we're going to require compounds from some place, and these are going to now become from trees and from biomass and not from the oil economy. So says Dr. Stephen Hill. He's the portfolio leader of high-value biorefineries at Scion. This is his thing. We should strike the word waste from our vocabulary when it comes to anything we do these days. We should be really, at the ground level, designing all of our processes, new processes, and looking at old processes and thinking, does this fit the idea of a circular bioeconomy? So that's something where... All of your outputs could potentially be an input for another process. Until arguably you're, you're going to end up with minimal waste, as opposed to the current sort of linear bioeconomy where we get a resource, we make a product, and then we throw it away. And that's not sustainable in terms of the oil economy because we've got a limited supply there. And even if you think of if we go to a bioeconomy but still keep it linear, you've got something sustainable but still generating a lot of waste. So really we need to go to the third tier, which is making sure that we cycle things as much as possible. And it's nothing new. Nature's done it forever. Um, there's carbon cycles, there's water cycles, there's phosphorus cycles, nitrogen cycles. We just finally clued up that we should probably take a leaf out of nature's book. We'll get back to Stefan in a bit. But first, this year Scion is celebrating its 75th anniversary of forestry science, tracing its roots back to the early experiments of the Forest Research Institute. Experiments that took place on the same site that Scion stands on today, Fakareira Rewa Forest Park in Rotorua, on the rohe of Nahapu Etoru, Nati Huru Naturangi, Nati Tayotu, and Nati Takahu. To get there, you have to follow a long drive passing by a redwood forest. The first redwoods were planted here in 1901, and today it's a large forest park with a visitor centre, treetop walk, and hiking and mountain bike trails. Tucked behind a fringe of trees on the other side are different tree research plots. On Google Maps, they look like little patchwork rectangles, each a slightly different size and texture to the next. Unfortunately, it's raining really hard the day I visit, so I sprint from the car to Te Whare Nui o Tuteata, Science Public Front Doors. Opened in 2021, the building is made with as much wood as possible. 
wooden triangular supporting frames, wooden ceiling, wooden doors. So the first thing that happens when people walk into this building usually is they go and touch it. That's Scion Chief Executive Dr Julian Elder. There's a visual, but there's a physical, but there's also a, a feeling. Downstairs in this building is a cafe and little exhibition area, with offices upstairs and the labs tucked away behind in separate buildings. I catch up with Julian in a room just off the main reception to learn a bit more about the past, present and future of Scion. It was actually the government that um, started to get really concerned uh, about the amount of native trees that as a country were, were cutting down. There was a view that we would actually end up cutting down all of the trees across New Zealand for the timber and other needs. The problem became clear at the end of the 1800s and early 1900s. Native trees grow slowly and take a lot of time to mature. So in 1898, the government set up a nursery at Rewa Rewa. Hundreds of seeds were shipped in from overseas and trials were started to determine the best exotic species most suited for growth and harvesting in the region. And one exotic tree quickly became the favourite. Pinus radiata in its native environment back in the US is actually quite a rubbishy tree. <laughs> Not very big, you know, and uh, that was what the whole process was around, was saying what would actually suit and work really well in the New Zealand environment. And Pinus radiata just grows amazingly well here in New Zealand. And so the New Zealand Forest Research Institute was born tasked with doing research to support this new developing industry. And that was sort of the first phase, was really establishing plantation forestry, and that was, New Zealand led the world in that. What we do today was really invented here on this campus for the world. It's gone around the world now. And then the next phase that, that came along was, because we were so successful, we realised that we were going to have much more wood than we needed. So it sort of changed the picture completely. And so the next phase that we were heavily involved in it was developing the processing industry. So that's the timber and, um, and primarily back then pulp and paper industry from all the trees we were growing. Uh, and that was, again, uh, driven a lot by the science and research from here. We used to have people out in the plants as they were being built and being optimised and being run. So a very strong role in developing that whole manufacturing sector. In 1992, the Crown Institutes were formed, and in 2005, New Zealand Forest Research Institute Limited adopted the training name Scion. Along the way, their work has broadened out from silviculture, which is forestry science, to many other areas. Now they're involved in researching plant pathogens, soils, the microbiome, and wildfires, as well as how to best manage forests, process wood, and now how to extract and process other products from forests beyond timber. Those were the first two waves and now we're into the third wave of all of the things we could be making from our trees. And the advantage, I guess, the, the journey we've been on for um, heading towards 20 years now is all of those other things we could also be making from trees. People naturally think of the bioenergy stuff, you know, so heating, but there's also the opportunity for biofuels, uh, biomaterials, and, and, and an area we do a lot of work in particularly is replacement for plastics. So you can still have your plastic bottle, but made from trees that no longer has those environmental problems that plastics made from petrochemicals have. So very much a, a focus on what are all the other 
things and potentially higher value chemicals and pharmaceuticals and so forth that we could be making from this very sustainable resource that we're growing. This is where the work of Stefan's team comes in. I'll catch up with him downstairs in one of Science Labs, where he's got some plastic containers for a bit of show and tell about some of the things they've figured out how to extract. So as part of the Bio Refinery program, which is an MBE five-year project, we've been producing a range of products from Bark. So you have Bark as an input, and then you, like an oil refinery, you produce different fractions, and those different fractions go into different um, uses. So that can be from low-value uses like energy, so you can make things called a bark briquette, which is actually the end of the process. But before you get to that, you take out a whole lot of compounds, which can be phytosterols, which are human health products, um, waxes and superins, which again can be used as antimicrobials. And also uh, you can get tannins, which can be used for turning a hide into leather. Essentially, Stefan wants to figure out whether one man's pile of bark could be another man's gold. The project Genesis, I guess, came out of the fact that uh, we moved away from using methyl bromide, which is a way of treating bark to kill all the bugs and the nasties, to sanitise logs before they go, effectively. But um, with changes in regulations, that became less possible. So then stripping the bark became the next best thing to make sure we still could send logs overseas. And we, which means we end up with a, a vast mound of bark that um, you know, is basically doing nothing for our economy and we've gone to all the trouble of growing it. It just happens to be a side stream from our forest industry, like needles and pine cones. They're another example of biomass we can be utilising from the pine forestry and from other forestries as well. But particular to pine, um, we've got maybe between 2 and 3 million tonnes of bark produced per year. And obviously only a very, very small proportion of that will go into garden centres um, to put in your garden. Um, so that leaves quite a massive biomass resource which we can be mining to get materials from. Where does the rest of the bark go at the moment? Well, currently it's kind of spread all over the forest floor. Um, so it's not... And that is a problem with biomass. Um, oil has one advantage. You drill a hole in a place and the oil comes out. And you might have a large number of these oil rigs, but really the oil resources in some ways quite localised. Biomass, if you think about it, is everywhere. And that means you've got a problem of how do you concentrate the resource in one place. So in terms of bark bar refinery, we're looking at where a predominant proportion of the forest industry sits. We're talking pine here, which is in the central North Island. And that's where we're sort of targeting where a, a pilot plant scale biorefinery based on bark will likely sit because what you don't want to do is be transporting the whole length of New Zealand your resource to process it doesn't make any sense so in some ways because the biomass and we're not saying it just has to be bark if we look around New Zealand we're biomass rich so regions could be processing a particular biomass in fact we've just released a white paper with Callaghan and some other CRIs which is looking at the hemp or the medicinal cannabis industry and saying hey guys yeah you're getting out your cannabinoids that's cool but 97% of your plant you're putting in the ground is that can we do something smarter with that before you put whatever is waste in the, the ground Stefan really doesn't like anything being thrown out as waste in two of the containers in front of him are examples of nanocellulose one kind of like small sheets of white paper in the other large white flakes Nanocellulose can be spun into fibres or used as a gel or powder and is found in a wide range of things, including diapers, wound dressings, paper, cosmetics and even bulletproof vests. And this has come out of a partnership with Pyroa-based company Agrisi, who are normally in the business of making animal and soil nutrition products 
from Seaweed. They collect seaweed from locals who collect Stormcast and they turn it into a value product and then we've come along and said, well, your waste stream, we can turn it into a higher value product. So their waste seaweed was valued at landfill and now we've turned it into a nanocellulose product which is valued at somewhere in the hundreds of US dollars per kilogram. And that's not disrupting their current business model. This is an addition. So we're, we really want to make sure that we're adding to current businesses and providing new opportunities for businesses that New Zealand has never seen to better utilise New Zealand's main resource, which is biomass, so we can leave our oil and our coal and our gas in the ground. Cellulose can also be derived from wood, though the seaweed ones they've extracted have some different properties. But back to trees. What else might the team be able to extract from the bark? So if you think about it, the bark is the outside skin. So that's the bit which sort of repels water, which also repels... It's there for protection as well. It's a lot like, a lot like our skin. So it stops us swelling up with water when we go in the pool. Um, our skin also is the first line of defence for bugs and bacteria. Been a tree that, that role is played by bark, which does mean that bark is full with a whole lot of defence compounds. So those are the things which when a bacteria or an insect comes and starts to eat the tree, they'll taste these chemicals and they might die or they might just think, ugh, and leave. So by taking out these materials we're able to then deploy them in what we want to deploy them. So we take out the antimicrobials, for example, and we can now put those in composites. Or we've got a project uh, where we're looking at infusing some of these antimicrobials into clothing. Then these can also be used to apply on surfaces. So you can imagine, I guess, at an extreme, you know, uh, surfaces of tables and chairs in hospitals where, where they would be self-cleaning with respect to antimicrobial activity rather than needing to squirt you know, ethanol and chemicals all over them. When looking at replacing what we currently get from the oil industry with tree-based products, this skin-like property of bark is also important for its ability to repel water. And this is a relatively new area of research in terms of these hydrophobics because biomass, the one thing you tend to get is they're wet and they like water. In fact, all living things we live because of water, um, which is where the oil industry has sort of a a niche on things because they generate things which actually don't like water. The oil industry, virtually none of their compounds like water. They're all, well, oil and water. Um, so, but we need to use the biomass to create materials which mimic those water repellent materials as well. This shift of thinking about the usefulness of trees for producing materials might also shift what forestry of the future looks like. It won't be one tree will fit all. There'll be some crossover, that's true, but um, to, to quote science motto, kind of right tree, right place, uh, um, will definitely become more obvious as time goes on. So, but even the way we grow trees will probably shift. We always consider now that our pine forests are growing a, an average of a 28-year-old tree to be straight because we want to make a log and that log is going to make a bit of timber or turn into plywood or something. But what if we said, actually, we don't want to make a log and we don't want to make timber, but pine still had some unique chemicals that we wanted, and that could be for energy as well, then maybe we want to grow pine for five to seven years. Maybe we want to grow pine in ways that would make a silviculturist cry because that forces the plant to generate more of particular compounds are interested. So as time goes on, we will see pine as less of a, a log crop and more of a biomass crop with a whole lot of reasons to grow it and other tree types. It's not to say that pine is just the answer. I mean, Douglas fir, eucalypt, natives, they'll all play a role because all of them are going to have something unique they'll bring to the table. But how we grow them will probably differ 
uh, depending on what use we ultimately want for them. So it does mean we might end up, you know, with a certain proportion of what our current stock is of pine will be planted in a very, very different way for very, very different reasons. Of course, getting things out of trees is all well and good, but it needs to be worth it. And that's where the work of Dr. Marie-Jules Legienne comes in. She's focused on the application side, the transfer of the science to industry. So, I mean, New Zealand is quite a remote place. So um, some things which are available in Europe are not available in New Zealand. And being able to produce something at cost and being able to ship it all over the world, uh, we have to think carefully on how we're doing that. And especially at the scale at which we're talking about, when we're talking about exporting logs or talking about exporting high-value product like nutraceutical or pharmaceutical, it's a very different market and different game. She's also been looking at that nanocellulose extracted from seaweed. And uh, we found that it behaves differently than trees when we extract the cellulose, just because of the nature of the biomass. So we got some, um, some grant proposal around the extraction of the cellulose. And then our partner were really excited and wanted to scale it up. So we did some process scale up, which uh, went to up to 200 kilo in the lab. And that worked really well as well. And then we started looking at, okay, where do we deploy those products? So whether it's in cosmetic, whether it's packaging, whether it's where would it fit, considering how much you can extract, how much your product costs, and where are people interested in. So hopefully at some point we're going to be able to build a bigger uh, infrastructure. One of the products they've successfully extracted from the pine bark and gone on to proof of concept stage is new to Aotearoa but not actually something new. This is something that's been around since Roman times. So using tannins from bark to produce leather is the most ancient way of producing leather. That's Dr. Hilary Corcoran. She's an organic chemist at Zion, and she's shown up to meet me with a shoebox with some light brown leather boots inside. At the moment, tannins used to make leather in New Zealand are all imported. And one of the most common current methods is chrome tanning which requires the heavy metal chromium. But Hilary has been working in the lab on the best way to extract vegetable tannins from ground-up bark. And they've been working with their collaborators at the Leather and Shoe Research Association, LASRA, to test them. Having extracted the tannins from the bark, we then have been shipping them off to our colleagues at LASRA for leather tanning analysis. This is their area of expertise, and they're really great at it. This involves a process for tanning in a drum, which you can visualise, it looks almost like the f- a front loader washing machine. And so you put a piece of hide, which is cow skin, in the drum along with your water and your tannins and some other additives like surfactants. And this is tumbled for a set period of time and then every so often the drum stopped and it's analysed to see how far through the hide the tannins have penetrated and how much of the tannins have been used up. This process is repeated for some time. There's also additional steps at the beginning at the end for changing the pH and other washing steps and at the end of that we get our leather. So, I mean, this is obviously proof of concept. There's boots sitting on the table in front of us. So what's the next step for this project? Yes, that's right. This is a a really great proof of concept to show that we can make boots 
using Pinus radiata tanned leather. We've also been working with collaborators at Callahan Innovation, where we've carried out some initial scale-up work so that we could have enough tannins for use in some of the tanning trials. So this has gone from carrying it out at a 1 to 200 gram scale for the amount of bark used for the extractions at Scion to when we went to Callahan Innovation, we carried out extractions at a 40 kilogram scale. Um, the work is still in progress and so we've got a lot of work to do optimising to ensure that we can get the best possible yield of tannins out of the bark in the first place and the best quality tannins so that we can make the best quality leather and get the most value to add to the bark biorefinery. So Stefan, Marie-Jou and Hilary are all part of the team working on this biorefinery puzzle. What products can they get from the trees? How can they do it efficiently and cost-effectively? And what kind of market is there so that it can make sense economically? When Scion Chief Executive Dr. Julian Elder imagines this biorefinery future, he doesn't see it happening in large-scale centralised processing plants. Our focus will always be environmental benefits, ecosystem services, social benefits and economic benefits. And I think for us in the future, the circular bioeconomy picture looks like a vibrant mosaic of activity across those areas. And it looks very, very positive for our regions because the activity you know, should be happening around the trees. So that's why I get really excited about what that future could look like for this country. One of the things you'll you know, hear people talk about, Industry 4.0, Uh, And a key element of that globally is that what science and technology is allowing us to do is downscale manufacturing. So, and again, that really suits uh, New Zealand. So in this bioeconomy space, a lot of the manufacturing and processing we're talking about doesn't have to be the very large scale that petrochemical processing had to be. It doesn't have to be the same sort of high temperature pressures and and so forth. So uh, we can effectively uh, downscale manufacturing these days. To help its future aspirations, Scion has also recently established a 10-person Te Ao Māori team, built from an existing smaller Māori forestry futures team. Huri tēnei o Ngāti Tūwharitoa, Ngāti Kahununu Rungo Mai Wahine, ko Shantau Pashao tōku ingoa, uh, I te pua ki ai ki, ki heri taenga, engari ko Rotorua um, tōku kainga noho i nai e nei, ka noho māua ko, ko tōku whānau ki ko nei. Ai, ko ai tētahi o ngā kaimahi o Sion, te papatipu, i arahi anau i te tīma te ao Māori uh, ki ko nei. Ai, kia ora. Chantelle joined in April 2021 and is a research group leader. Part of her work since she started has been to look to the future. Looking at our priority research programs for um, the next 10, 20, 30 years, and two of those portfolios, we call them Māori-led portfolios. Um, So one of the portfolios is restoration, protection in Māori, or te wānui atāni. So that's looking at our forest landscapes, sort of building more resilient forests, and I guess acknowledging the value of our ngāhiri, of our rākau, for what it is. And so that's one side. And then one of our other portfolios is um, looking at distinct value from indigenous wood products. So... Both of those portfolios have had a a strong Māori influence, both 
have been and, and will continue to be uh, informed and led by Te Ao Māori worldviews, by Whakapapa, by Mātauranga Māori um, and, and, and Kaitiakitanga. Chantelle says at the moment they're doing plenty of relationship building and getting the word out there about science research capabilities and about how they might be able to help with hapu or iwi aspirations. One project example is one that began before Chantelle's time. Cyan collaborated on a pilot project to investigate the feasibility of tōtara forestry in Northland, Tatai Tokoro. And the results of that was it was found to be a viable industry for Taitokiro. So Taitokiro Māori Forestry, the collective of 16 uh, land trusts, were of course involved in that project. At the conclusion of it, it was unanimously decided amongst uh, the partners there that Taitokiro Māori Forestry would lead whatever happened going forward. Uh, so that's where things are at now. Uh, Scion's been supporting again since last year, building for the next phase of the project, whatever that might look like from um, TMFI or Taitokurei Māori Forestry Incorporated, whatever that might look like from their perspective. And I guess the important distinction there is now that that Kopapa is Māori-led and Sion is supporting and I guess it's looking at, again, that distinct value from Tōtara, talking about the timber, extracts, um, fibres, you know, what might be possible and the whakapapa, acknowledging the whakapapa of where that timber has come from. And so that's all part of um, the distinct value of Indigenous um, wood products and how, uh, I guess, it aligns back here to Sion. It is what they think about day in and day out. And the team at Sion really do see a future for Aotearoa industry amongst its trees. I think in front of every port that has logs on it, we should have big billboards of all the things we could be making out of those logs. We just need to get the message across that this is a huge resource that New Zealand grows sustainably that, you know, we're hardly using. We're letting other countries use it and we could be doing so much more. Thanks to the team at Scion of Dr. Stephen Hill, Dr. Julian Elder, Dr. Marie-Jules Lejeune, Dr. Hilary Corcoran and Chantelle Bashara. This episode was produced by me, Claire Kincannon. Thanks to Justin Gregory for editing help and to our Changing World assistant producer, Ellen Rikers. Sound engineering was by William Saunders and Tim Watkin is the executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. Check out the show's website at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. And I also recommend you check out the podcasts and series tab on the RNZ website. New RNZ podcasts are being released all the time on a whole range of topics. If you want to get in touch with us, we're on Facebook or Twitter at RNZ Science. Or you can email the show, ourchangingworld at rnz.co.nz. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Kia pai, to wiki.